the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now let's anchor that deep. I am a second coming saint. Why don't you repeat that after me? I am a second coming saint. Now you want to know what that means, right? That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. As a reminder, you can tune in to the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You are most welcome to be our guest either online or in person. We will have more details on that as we continue with today's broadcast. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentanko is entitled Second Coming Saints, and we hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com if you miss any portion of today's message. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentanko, with Second Coming Saints. Let's pray. Father God, I am grateful for a cross that was strong enough and good enough to get it done. So that every struggle of my life, every struggle of our lives, is rooted in a victory in Jesus that stands between B.C. and A.D. as our reference point as Christians. Lord, may we never forget that we are the people of the cross. That as the remnant church, we are the people of the cross first and foremost. And that any obedience we have is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Lord, help us to feed on the word of God to know you. I'm a weak servant, Lord. I need Jesus in me as I preach and teach. So help me, I pray. Help us to grow and be ready for the second coming of Jesus. In his name, amen. Christopher Hitchens was a world-famous atheist who was also a literary critic and author and a self-made philosopher skilled at making fun of Christians. You ever go online and watch Christopher Hitchens making fun of Christians? A number of you have. Bad viewing, but nonetheless essential if you want to be in tune with what's happening in our time. He was world-renowned for his pithy defense of unbelief. Sadly, he died of cancer with no hope of a Savior. Pitiful to watch him descend to death with no hope of a Savior. That part wasn't funny at all. It wasn't pithy. It was awful. Mr. Hitchens once confided in a friend that I personally knew who confided also in me that he was looking for clear evidence for faith in God. I showed his friend some of the chiastic evidence in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy for inspiration. She said, if Christopher Hitchens had seen this, maybe he would have turned to God. He was looking for this clear, definable evidence. And yet he never exercised that little faith that is a gift from God irrational or not, given by God so we can latch on to God. They tell us that we have a center in the brain called the God spot where that little piece of faith can say, I believe, maybe you don't have all the evidence, but you latch on to God. He never did that. At least we don't think he did. He felt it best to not believe if he didn't have a great evidence in God. 
Mr. Hitchens is famous for many quotes, but one stands out in the subject of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He wrote a famous statement about the second coming of Jesus in regards to Sarah Palin, who once was a vice presidential running mate with John McCain, who sought to be president. They didn't make it. He wrote a statement that did not help her candidacy at all. I want to share it with you. Here it is. He wrote, Sarah Palin appears to have no testable core conviction except the belief which none of her defenders denies that she holds, or at least has held and not yet repudiated, that the end of days and the second coming will occur in her lifetime. This completes the already strong case for allowing her to pass the rest of her natural lifespan as a private citizen. No, so he used the second coming, Sarah Palin's confidence that Christ might come in our lifetime as evidence she should get out of office. You know, the idea Mr. Hitchings was positing was rather clear. If you are stupid enough to believe that Jesus Christ can return in your lifetime, then you have no place being a leader or a public figure voted in this country or perhaps even the world. Now think about what he said. In a way, Mr. Hitchings got it right. If you look for the world to come in the second coming, the second coming of Jesus. How many of you are looking for the second coming of Jesus? Okay, we join the assembly of fools in the world. Because I don't care if I'm considered a fool based on prophetic evidence. I want Jesus to come. I believe he's on his way. We are living at the time of the end. How do I know that? I study the book of Daniel. I study the book of Revelation. I mean, if we come to church and we think that those books are obsolete... For our end time relationship with Jesus, we aren't paying attention to Jesus. Because Christ said the book of Daniel is the book you must understand when the gospel goes to the world. Matthew 24, verse 15. And so I want to follow Jesus. I need to know the evidence from prophecy. And yet we live in a world where people could care less about it. Sometimes in the church people say, oh, I don't want to hear Daniel Revelation. You will want to hear Daniel Revelation when end time events begin to unfold more clearly. We will desperately want a clear knowledge of the truth. So if you look for the world to come in the second coming of Jesus, with all your heart, then it is true that in time you will have no place left for you in this world. So in that sense, Mr. Hitchings is right. We will become obsolete to the new world order because our hearts, our affections, our lives will be centered in the coming kingdom. This morning, I speak to you, the saints of the church. Did you wake up this morning feeling saintly? Oh, you didn't. You had frowns. Well, guess what? When Paul writes his letters, he calls the members of the church the saints. And I speak to you, the saints of the church, that I am striving to be a second coming saint. I don't think I've arrived, but I want to get there. Are you in the club with me? Anybody here like that? Okay. I want to see Jesus come in my lifetime. Should be an amen, two, three, four to that, right? I want to see the graves open wide and the righteous dead resurrected into glory and immortality in my lifetime. I want to see those who are living saints caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. I want to see this gospel of the kingdom go to the whole world and every single person make a decision and then the end will come in my lifetime. I want to sing the song of the saved and play the tune of the true in heart on the sea of glass with a guitar in my hand. Do we have a guitar here that's tuned? I left my guitar at the house. I wrote a song, a little song for school children years ago that I was going to teach some of the kids, but I'll have to do it in a children's story. I don't want to stand with a harp. You know, it says they stand with harps on the sea of glass. You ever read that in the book of Revelation? 
I want to stand with my guitar on the sea of glass, helping the harps out, because the kind of harp I like is a six-string guitar, folk style. Now, to get there, that glorious day, friends, we need to ask the pertinent question, what does it mean to be a second coming saint? What are the characteristics of those second coming saints who will live to see Jesus come, who will be ready for his coming? Because that's what we need to be. Arthur W. Pink once wrote this profound thought. The first time Christ came to slay sin and men. Think about that. The first time, that's the first coming, Jesus Christ came to slay sin and men. The second time, which is the second coming, he will come to slay men and sin. So mercy, then judgment, not the other way around. Now, I don't want to be a man in sin, but a man in Jesus when he returns. I want to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. How many of you are in that club? I'm asking for affirmations. Okay. Now, let's anchor that deep. I am a second coming saint. Why don't you repeat that after me? I am a second coming saint. Now, you want to know what that means, right? Okay, you do. Turn with me to Luke 21, 25. Let's delve into the scriptures. Now, Christ describes the second coming here. He says, there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars. Upon the earth, the stress of nations and perplexity. Most Christians don't know that most of this has already happened. We know that the stars fell in 1833, the great Leonid meteorite shower, upon which all meteorite showers have been measured ever since. It was a display greater than the 4th of July fireworks in which the stars fell as a fig tree shakes its leaves. The following night, the great blood-red moon that occurred made every blood-red moon since look like nothing. And then he says, the distress of nations. Following these cosmic events, we enter the era of nationalism, the collapse of the Holy Roman Empire. 1848, the great revolutions of Europe following the cosmic signs. World War I, World War II. And Jesus says, perplexity, the Greek is aporia, no way out. We now live in the nuclear age and we can destroy another nation if a single misstep occurs. Most people don't realize it. We came one mistake away from blowing up the world in the Cuban Missile Crisis. A Russian submarine commander was given the order to send a nuclear weapon and destroy an aircraft carrier, United States aircraft carrier. He defied the order, swallowed the access key code was later commended by the Soviets for defying the order. Had he done that, Western civilization, as we know, would have come to an end. It is only the Lord Jesus that has held us together during these awful times in which we live. And Jesus says the perplexity, the roaring of the nations, no way out. The sea and the waves, storm, wars. Verse 26, men fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. We live in a time when people feel they can't fix everything. When world conditions are so awful, you cannot mend them. The great thinking people, the economists, know that we have to retool Western civilization, but no one knows how to do it. And then Jesus says, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You see, earthly trouble, like the war in Ukraine and Russia, which they say is World War III, America fighting a proxy war with Russia and the like. Who knows how far it would go? I hope it doesn't go far. But friends, it moves from the horizontal to the vertical. The Bible says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will be cosmic events that appear so dramatic that the world will realize that Jesus is coming. Now, they just put that James Webb telescope up in space. Many of you followed that. I mean, they say it will be able to look back in time to almost the origin of the universe. 
Well, I believe it's up there for a different reason. Because when that white cloud appears and the wormhole appears in proximity to this planet and Christ comes through that hole in time and space, I believe they're going to point the James Webb telescope right at it. And the whole world is going to see on CNN and all these other news stations the coming of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are living on the eve of the greatest event in the history of the universe next to the cross. And look at verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Revelation 1.7 says every eye will see Him. It's no secret rapture. It's nonsense theology. It will be a global, visible coming of Christ. The whole world engaged. It will be judgment day of sorts. Verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, now what should we do? Here's what Jesus says. Now he's the authority. What's the phrase there in your Bible? What does he say? Look up and raise your heads. Have you ever felt depressed where you look down a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. You ever do that? Walking down, you know, COVID-19, I've got to wear this mask. Oh man, I lost my job for this or that. But Jesus says when the trouble starts, what do we do? Look up and raise your head. Because when you're looking up, what are you looking for? You're looking for Jesus to return. Because your redemption is drawing near, as he says. Friends, second coming saints are looking for and they are hoping for the coming of Jesus. They aren't trying to avoid it. They want it to happen. So just before Jesus died on the cross... Christ gave this clear description of his coming we've just gone through. And then he commanded us to look forward to his second coming with optimism. Christ told us to look up and to raise our heads high because our redemption is drawing near at the second coming of Jesus. Now we are Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day means we honor the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. The forgotten commandment in the Christian world. The commandment that the early Christians kept for four to five hundred years before imperial armies came to the West and forced them to keep Sunday. We keep the day of the Apostle Paul, Peter, Christ, and the first three centuries of Christians. But friends, the last part of our name is Adventist. What does that part mean? It means second coming. We believe in the coming of Christ. We are working, we are living to hasten the second coming of Jesus that will usher in the kingdom of God. In light of that glorious day, I want to consider eight vital character qualities of second coming saints who will be ready for the second coming of Jesus. Now, Pastor Mike, why did you choose eight? I like the number eight. You know why? You know why? Do you realize that Christ's name numerically is 888? You know, the beast power, you know, is 666. He is 888. Now, we have seven days in the week, Right? When you roll to the eight, you're starting with a new creation, a new beginning. Christ is the amen, the beginning of the creation of God, 888. There's something about the number eight. I settled with eight. There are more characteristics, but I want to focus on eight vital qualities of second coming saints. Vital character quality number one, second coming saints follow the Lamb. Now in Revelation 12, John the Revelator describes the great controversy and how sin arose in heaven. Christ as Michael, the uncreated, the eternal Son of God. You know, some people believe that Christ was created. The Bible does not teach that. The name Michael means who is equal to God or who is just like God. Well, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ is the answer. So Christ as Michael, the commander of heaven's armies, defeated the dragon in that prior era and Satan was thrown to the earth. 
in the beginning before the creation of the world and Revelation 12 also at the cross. Why? Because Satan had clawed his way back up into heaven because he had deceived Adam. He took Adam's place in the heavenly council. At the cross, he got the boot for the last time, never more to accuse us before God. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. And then in Revelation 13, the world kingdom beast murdered God's people during the Middle Ages. The church-state fusion that became the Antichrist power. The church becoming corrupt through political power. It did it until a lamb-like beast arose out of the earth in the new world, out of America... And this new lamb-like beast that is the United States of America rose near the end of the prophetic period that ended in 1798. At the time of the end, to persecute God's people with the mark of the beast test that is still future. So we are living in Revelation 13. In Revelation 13.8, the whole world follows the beast, which is the world kingdom order, and they worship the beast at the time of the end. Now, I don't want to be in the beast business as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I want to be in the Christ business. The beast is Antichrist. The beast operates for three and a half prophetic years, 42 months. Jesus had a ministry for three and a half literal years. The beast tears down the church. Jesus built it. The beast persecutes, profanes God's name. Jesus did the opposite. The beast gets a deadly wound. Christ was crucified. And the beast comes back in resurrection. Christ was resurrected. The beast is Antichrist power. In Revelation 13, 8, the whole world will worship the beast when he is resurrected on Sunday at the time of the end. The Sunday resurrection of the beast will have a pivotal part in the mark of the beast, according to Bible prophecy. But in Revelation 14, 144,000 saints, they stand before God's throne with the Father's name and the Lamb's name written on their foreheads. Instead of the mark of the beast, they have the name of God, the name of the Lamb. They do not receive the mark of the beast or its image. Now, which group do you want to be in? You want to be in the mark of the beast crowd or you want to be in the crowd that gets the seal of the living God and has his Father's name on the forehead? I want to go to that crowd, the latter one. Now, in the Bible, the name of God, now say it with me, Yahweh. Say, what do you mean Yahweh, Pastor Mike? Well, that's the Hebrew name for God. It's translated in your Bible, L-O-R-D, with all capital letters. Have you ever noticed that? You read the Bible, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, it's all capital letters. That's Yahweh. That's the sacred name of God, the I am who I am God of Exodus 3 that God revealed at the burning bush. Now, what does I am who I am mean? It means I am who I am. In other words, my name is my character. My name is my nature. My name is what I'm like. So if you want to know my name, I'm the one who is the way I am. Now why would God say that? Because God is saying, I change not. Therefore you're not consumed. Malachi 3 and so on. God's name is his nature, his character. It is no coincidence that the law of God, the Ten Commandment law of God, is equated with the name of God in Holy Scripture. 
Because God's name, that is who he is, his character, is his law. God's law is God's name because God's law is who he is. Look at Psalms 119.55. I remember thy name in the night, O Lord. And what do we do? And keep thy law. So if you have God's name on your forehead, you have God's law on your forehead. You see, the worshipers of the beast have the law and name of the beast. They're into the resurrection day, the mark of the beast thing. Whereas God's people keep the commandments of God given at Sinai, the character of God placed on the forehead of the believer. So these living saints with the name of God on their foreheads have the divine law of God in their minds. Why? Because they have formed Christian characters like God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They have come to the cross. They have claimed the cross. The Holy Spirit has changed them to be obedient faithful Christians. So how do we get these kind of God-like and Christ-like characteristics that are necessary for the second coming? How do we get this change? Now the key is found in Revelation 14, 4 and 5. It says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are chaste. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are spotless. Now, in describing the 144,000, the group that has the Father's name, it's a symbolic number. God's not trying to limit the saved. It represents God's people from every quarter of the earth. 12 times 12,000, the symmetry of prophetic beauty. Threes are God. Three times four. Four is global. Thousand means many. And it has tens built in for God's law. It's a prophetic number describing God's people who are global, who are his Israel, and who obey the law, and who have a faith relationship with God. So in describing this group, John states that it is these who. In other words, that is what they are like. It is these who. Here they are. He says they don't follow women, they follow Christ. Now, is the Bible here anti-woman? No, it isn't. A woman in the book of Revelation represents a church. A good woman is the faithful church. They don't follow fallen and corrupt churches, John writes. That's what he's getting at here. I mean, the harlot and her daughters described in Revelation, this group doesn't go there. They have a higher loyalty than a church system that is unfaithful to God. He also says they are honest because no lie was found in their mouth. Every person here, and I say this with authority, every person here has been dishonest at some point in their life, right? No, no. See, you have a hard time admitting the truth, don't you? Well, I'm right. At the Romans 3, it says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and we're all liars at times. We have been. We have all messed up. We've all been dishonest. Isn't it good to do a good health check at times and realize that we need the Lord? And quit acting like we don't. We all have, okay? Every person has. Every person has messed up. You know, you can know a liar by the claim that he or she has never lied. That's how you can spot them. Because we all have. Abraham lied. Sarah lied. Isaac lied. Jacob was real good at it. And yet, somehow God worked in their lives and helped them fix things up. God's not trying to say something that's not obvious here. He's trying to point to something else. When the Bible says no lie was found in their mouth, the Bible is asserting that this group of people will teach and preach the truth at the time of the end, and that they will value and practice honesty in their faith and in their interaction with the Bible. They will not manipulate God's word, and that way they will represent God's name, his character, and his law. 
They won't teach what people want to hear. They will teach the truth that people need to hear. And they will not allow a fallen church system to dissuade them from the most important calling in life, to tell the truth about God, to open the Bible plainly and declare its word. Verse 4 says they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They don't go down their own roads. They don't go down any road. They follow the Lamb's path to glory. They don't chart their own course in life. They follow in the path that the Lamb leads in their commitment to follow Him. They follow the Lamb. Friends, the first point, the most important point in our life is to follow Jesus Christ. If you want to get to the law and keep it, you better be following Jesus Christ or you're not really keeping the law. Following Christ is not a resolution. Following Jesus is a road and a friendship and a relationship with a good destination because Jesus is the joy in the journey. Jesus is our friend. Eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. You know, I sometimes wonder why Jesus Christ puts up with me. Boy, I look in the mirror and I think, I mean, sometimes I go through those days. I just see how awful I am. Does anybody feel this way at times? I let the Lord down this week, last week, yesterday. And then I think of the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, having Christ in the journey, knowing that he loves us when we sin and fail, or when we don't realize our own expectations of what we want to do. I'd rather have a savior than an instructor. I'd rather have an advocate than to be my own lawyer in the judgment day. I'm grateful for Jesus in the journey. I want to follow the Lamb. Well, that will conclude the first portion of Second Coming Saints. We'll conclude this broadcast the next time we get together. Thank you so much for listening today. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, that address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.